Okay, I want to share out of uh, Numbers chapter 13, when Moses is sending out sending out uh, the spies into the land, and he says, "Then the Lord, note in Numbers chapter 13, verse one. Then, he, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourselves men, for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each." of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them, men who were heads of the sons of Israel. So he chose one man from every tribe. If you look in the list, there's 12 tribes listed, but the tribe of Levi is not listed because they were the priests. They, didn't, they, didn't, uh, they were busy doing other things. It was the, the Levites. But there are still 12 tribes listed, and you remember because Joseph had Ephraim and Manasseh, so he was split into two. He got a double blessing, so that's how there's 12, even though you don't have the Levites there. And, and uh, the, all of these men were leaders of their tribe, so it wasn't like they were just you know, some man walking down the street. Uh, why don't you go and spy out the land? Every man was hand-selected. These were the special forces. These were the Navy SEALs. These were the folks who were hand-selected leaders of each one of the tribes. <clears throat> and it goes through and it names them by name. The scriptures are really interesting. It names them specifically by name. gives them names. These are real people. These aren't fictitious people. It even says who their father was. It really gives them a specific name. Lest you think that you know, Moses made up this whole story. No, there's, there's specific names here. And in verse 17, Moses charged them to go and spy out the land of Canaan. And he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, <clears throat> that's the southern part of Israel, then go up into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak and whether they are few or many and how is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? How are the cities? Are they fortified? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Uh, um, and it says, now is the time of the first grapes. And so they went in the land and they spied it out. And they went from the south to the north and they spied out the land. This, for 40 days, they spied out the land. Remember, they had only left Egypt uh, uh, a month or so earlier. I mean, they had not come out of Egypt very long before they got up to this point to go into the land. And uh, uh, so they... they you know, they were used to being slaves, and, and here they're, they're going and spying out the land. And now they come back, and we want to really focus in on the report that they come back with. Here's the report, <clears throat> verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they said to him, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they went, and they came back, and now these twelve men come, and they give a report. And the first thing they say is, It is a land that flows with milk and honey. God had promised them that I will send you into a land of milk and honey, meaning that it's going to be an abundant land. There's going to be plenty there for you to live on and you will live in abundance in that land. That was his promise to them. And they come back and the first thing they report is, it is everything that God told us that it would be. It is a land flowing with milk and honey and here is the grapes. You know, so they, 
they, they had big grapes on a, th- on, a, on a rod, it says. They brought back with them because it was the time of the grape harvest. And they, they really showed them that this, this is a fruitful land. Everything that God said it is, it is. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the people who live, live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the, the, the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the Jordan, and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Why should we... uh, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we, we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land which we have gone in spying out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, a part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Okay, so, the people go, ten men go out and spy out the land. They come back and they give a report. It's everything that God said it is. And then, actually, so there were twelve men. Ten of them start saying some other things. There were two that didn't, Caleb and Joshua. Joshua is mentioned later on in the next chapter. But here's what they said. So they said initially in verse 27, it's everything that God said. They said, nevertheless... The people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak was the descendants were related to Nephilim. These were giant men. And the Bible records them, and records even the size of some of them. In fact, uh, Goliath was a descendant of one of them. Remember Goliath, that man who was nine and a half feet tall. David ended up killing him. David and his men ended up killing not just Goliath, but four of his brothers, the scriptures record. That's why David took five smooth stones. In order, he was just, he used one to kill, kill Goliath. There were four other brothers that he was ready for them, even when he was a young man. They were descendants of those, but these were very large men. But not everybody was a descendant of Anak. <clears throat> he says, Anak, there's, there's, there's nothing untrue in this, up to this point. He says, Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, meaning in the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites are living in the hill country. The Canaanites are over by the sea and living along the Jordan on both sides of that land. And so he could hear some rumbling as they're giving out this, this report of these big people. Caleb tries to calm them and he says, he says, we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will overcome it. That was Caleb's report. It says, but the men who had gone up with him said... We're not able to go up against the people, for they're too strong for us. You see, this has now become subjective. Everything to this point was objective. They reported what they saw. Nothing wrong in that. They saw some big, big men. They reported it. They saw, you, you know, land flowing with milk and honey that, that, that was full of produce. They reported it. But now they start putting their own feelings in this. Now it's very different. It's like when a student I, will be working for me, they'll be working in my lab, and, and I'll start asking them about the reaction, and, and then they go into this mode where they're giving their opinion on the reaction. I say, I don't want that. I want to know what did you see? What color was it? What did it, did it bubble? What, what was happening? Tell me what you saw. As well, it decomposed. I say, you don't know that. Maybe it all formed the product you want. 
How do you know? You know, you know so there's, there's some subjectiveness, and then there's something that's really... He wanted to know what was going on. Now they start throwing in their own opinion. <clears throat> then it says, So the men gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report. Now they start falsifying the report. Now they start adding misinformation. So they started out well, then they started giving their opinion on it, now they start giving misinformation. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land which we have gone in spying out is a land that devours its inhabitants. You mean the ground just opens up and (laughs) devours its inhabitants? I mean, you're all back here. I mean, lions attack everybody? What does this mean? You see what I mean? It's just, this is imagination. Land that devours its inhabitants. I mean, he says there were many people there. Many people. If it's devouring its inhabitants, it's not devouring them fast enough. I mean, how can you have a large population if it's devouring all its inhabitants? This is what happens when you start giving misinformation. It just doesn't match up. And he says... Uh, and all the people whom we saw in it were men of, of great size. Now, come on. You, there were some giant men there. But not everybody's giant. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, you have some big men, you have small men, you have wide men, you have thin men, you have, you have ladies, you have kids. I mean, not everybody in there is just a big man. I mean, how can this be? I mean, somebody has to grow up to be the big man. I mean, there's got to be some little men in, in route to the big man, Right? So things that have to be happening. So, so this, is, this is all misinformation. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak. So they go looking at this again. We, and the, this is true. These are giant people. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Look at the, the way the scriptures put it. We became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. How I view myself, other people will start viewing me in that way. We were grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. The way I view myself, others will view me. If I view myself totally defeated and overcome, people start looking at me as defeated and overcome. If I view myself that, no, we're going to do this, we can do... People want to follow that man. I mean, it's a man of purpose. How we view ourselves is how people will start viewing us. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So all night the people are weeping. Here they've come out of the land, they thought they were going to go into this land of milk and honey, and there's this fictitious report. There's this negative report. And all the sons of Israel, verse 2 of of chapter 14, grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. So you see how this is progressing. It progresses from the truth, to subjectivity, to, to misinformation, and now what's happening with the people, they hear this and they start weeping. They're done weeping. They start complaining against Moses and Aaron, the leaders there. And then, they start saying, oh, would that we had just died in the wilderness. It would have been better if I'd never been born. 
Did it ever happen to you? Ever feel that way? Nobody loves me. It'd <laughs> be better if I was never born. Nobody would even care. I could just die. Nobody would even stop. And look at my body. I mean, it's, it's, that's it. Nobody cares about me. And so they started falling into this. And you watch this progression. And they're complaining about, they start by complaining about leadership. You know, when you start complaining about Chuck, and you know you're falling into this. You know, you start complaining about leadership. Then it starts going and you start feeling like, it would be better if I was never born, if I were never born. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword. Now it's the Lord's fault. Then starts the blame on God. Let's blame God for this. It's all His fault. Basically, because isn't He in charge of everything in life? So every problem I have must be because of Him. Right? He's the source of everything. He must be the source of my problems too. Because if He wanted to, He could have kept that from happening, you know. He could have had it so that the land was empty and it was a road, a paved road going in there, yellow brick road, just you know, going right in, and and little munchkins serving us or something. You know, he could he could have done anything, so it must be his fault. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And so, can you imagine being their wives and their little ones, hearing the men talk this way? We're going to be plunder? I mean, what's going to happen to us? So they said to one another, Let us appoint the leader and return to Egypt. So Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly and the congregation. Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then He will bring us into that, this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. So God came and He protected Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. And in fact, it says those other ten men, they died that night. A plague, boom, hit them. You talk about demonstration of power. I mean, God didn't mess around very long with these folks. But look at the difference of the way they viewed what they saw. Joshua and Caleb saw exactly what the other ten men saw. And look at these two men's perspective. He says, the land, in verse 7, the land that we went to go through and spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will bring us in this land and give it to us. You see, it's not, it's not this false pride like, I'll take that land. No, if the Lord is with us, we will get it. If the Lord's pleased with us, we will get it. He will get us this land. A land flows with, that flows with milk and honey. So they're speaking the truth. This is a great land. Fertile land, they says. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people. Do not fear the people of the land. Do not fear. This is a repeated word throughout Scripture. Do not fear. You fear your career. You know, am I ever going to get a job? I mean, everything's looking bleak out there. Do not fear. Again and again, Jesus was saying to the disciples, do not fear. 
we have this tendency to fear all these different things. He says, do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Look at the two guys. Their perspective is very different. They see these giants. They will be our prey. I mean, when Israel finally did go into the land, I mean, they really kicked butt. I mean, they killed giants all over the place. In fact, the scriptures record the last giants that were even killed among those very large people. And and, uh, uh, so he, he says, they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Their protection has been removed. You see how they see through spiritual eyes? What do you mean their protection has been removed? You mean the walls of their cities have fallen? What do you mean? They acknowledge that the one who protects is God. Their protection has been removed from them. They see with spiritual vision. Their protection has been removed from them. Their protection has been removed. Same people. Same situation. I don't want somebody working in my lab who drags their lunchbox behind them to work every day. And, oh, this miserable, stinking place. I don't want that kind of person working for me because they bring the whole group down. Say, go home. I don't want you here. And don't come back till you grow up. And if you can't grow up, don't ever come back. I don't want you bringing, back, bringing this into the lab. We can do this. You know, if, if there's not a thermodynamic reason that you can tell me why this can't be done, then go do it. Try it. You know, you step out in power in what God has called you to, to speak to people. You will never feel adequate for the task. My whole life I felt too young for what God was calling me into. You know, I'd tell you, I'm not old enough, I can't do this, you know, I'm not experienced enough. And then overnight, you know what happened? I felt too old. <laughs> so I'm too old to do this. I'm too old to be speaking to college students. I mean, you just had somebody, you know, some 20-something guy up here. He can really relate to his spiked hair and everything. <laughs> I'm too old for this. I have never felt comfortable. I've either felt too young or too old. I'm not a preacher. What do I know about preaching? I've never been to seminary. All I know is what I've read. This is one book. You will never feel adequate. We had a guy in our, our, our home yesterday. We have all these students in our home on Sundays. And this guy in our home, and he was you know, sharing his story. Or he changed his major, and he was a little depressed. And he doesn't know if he's going to catch up. And then I saw a guy walk in our home. Who, who I met 14 years ago, 13 and a half years ago, here at, in, at Hanson. It wasn't a commons. It was just Hanson had his own little kitchen area, own little eating area. And he was a guy who was confused with his majors and major, and you know, he went off and he did music, he tried this, and finally he pre-med and took some class, went to medical school, and now he's a full-fledged physician, and he was in our home. And I called him over and said, hey, you're here. And I said, go sit with this guy and minister to him. You know, share with him your story and encourage him. Well, he went off and shared with him, I don't know what. And he got done. And said, you didn't share with him your story and all of this? I said, what's wrong with you? I set this up perfectly for you. I put the guy right next to you. Talk about your life and what the Lord can do through a life. He didn't pick up this opportunity. 
is he thinks, well, he's still feeling he's inadequate. I mean, here he is, an internist with, you know, in his mid-30s. I said, when I first met you, I was right about your age. He was like, wow, you were doing a lot back in those days. I mean, you, there's all these opportunities in front of us. I could never share with that professor. He's a professor. i got to share with him. Don't fear them. Their protection has been removed. They fear you more than you fear them. Really. You think, oh no, they're just a kid. They're a professor. They fear Christians. Because of this power that you have, this belief that you have, this faith that you have. And you think, you know, you look at yourself like a grasshopper and so you become in their sight. You know? (laughs) But if you have this view of yourself, no, God is with me. God will help me. And so what are they going to do? Snap off. I remember I was going around. I was a graduate student. I was going around in the, in the student center at Purdue. And I was sharing. I used to share with people in the student center, share my faith. And the next table down was some professor. And he had his papers there. And I started talking to him about Jesus. And he says, you Christians, you think you have the right to just go sharing? And I said, look, man, everybody has the right to share whatever they want. If you're not interested, fine. But here I am here. I'm telling you the gospel. You don't want it? Fine. You know, they fear us more than we fear them. The Scriptures are true. The same is the defeated way that your students will take hold of their lives. I I could never do that. I could never... You keep saying that. You could never do it. If the Lord is pleased with you and if it's His will, the door will open. Lord, open up for me a job. I remember after 9-11, I mean, so many students were walking around in a daze, like, oh, the world is over. So one young girl, she came over to our house. She was a wonderful young Christian girl. And it was in the middle of a week. She just came over and she said, I just need to, just need to get away from campus. So she sat on the couch, lay down on the couch, went to sleep watching TV. And she got up and she says, isn't it miserable? I mean, 9-11, everything, what's going to happen? I said, it's going to be fine. Just how do you know? I said, look, I have seen the race riots in New York City when I was a kid. They thought the whole world was going to explode. There was the hippie movement, and everybody was sleeping around with each other, and they thought all families were over. I mean, things come and things go. The country's still here. Let me tell you something. After this 9-11, the country's still going to be here. And you're still going to graduate, and you're going to get a job, and you... Oh, okay, and she was all better, and I drove her back to campus. <laughs> That if we look at ourselves in a defeated way, we, have, we get conquered. But to have a vision that, no, God is going to do great things through my life. I do not deserve to be where I am. I never could have gotten into Rice. I can only teach at Rice. I could never get through that admissions office. Never, even to this day. I could only get through the tenure committee, but I couldn't get through the admissions office. But what happens is, God brings you to places you absolutely do not deserve if you keep your eyes on Him. And you trust Him. I remember when I was in, in graduate school, and I was doing my postdoc, I was at Stanford, and we were all interviewing for the same jobs. You, you know, the, so many students at Stanford going into faculty positions, and, and the guys in the lab were joking, and, and, but there was a lot of truth in their jokes. And they, they said, um, uh, because there were people in the lab that knew so much more chemistry than me. I mean, I was just a regular student. And I started learning organic chemistry when I was a sophomore in, high, in, in college. So, but these people had, had been like reading organic chemistry since kindergarten. They knew so much. They knew so many facts and so many. 
And, and the guys in the lab were joking, Jim's never going to get an offer for a job with these other guys <laughs> looking for jobs. And there was some truth in that. Well, anyway, I knew what they were talking about. And I would go out, there's this little cactus farm at, uh, cactus garden at, at, at um, Stanford, because the chapel there is so beautiful, it has all these visitors, you can't pray in the chapel. I tried once. So I used to go out to this cactus uh, uh, garden, and, and, uh, um, which was also the graveyard for this Leyland Stanford family. And I used to pray out there, and I said, Lord, open up the doors for me to get a faculty position. Lord, open it up. And on all the different interviews, I got all the job offers before any of them got the offers. All the places offered me the job. God opens the door. I didn't deserve it. And then in my career, I've excelled so far past all of them. And you think, oh, well, because then you're really smart. No, that is not the case. I was just a regular guy who worked really hard. And I used to, then I, in college, I started picking up the scriptures and meditating on them. And God brings me up. I don't deserve all of this. It's God opens the door. We're going to read in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the chapter on, on faith, in Hebrews chapter 11. Just read a, a few things about, about this. And you will see this common thread in many of these people of faith. And so we're going to read from chapter 11 of Hebrews, reading from verse... Um, Verse 23, Hebrews 11:23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The king's edict was throw every male, male Hebrew child into the Nile and let him drown. And they were not about to throw their baby because they were not afraid of the king's edict. How could you not be afraid of the king's edict? You walk with God. You walk with God. And you're a different person. You are different because of God. God will protect us. God will protect us. I'm not going to walk in fear. God will protect me. And, and uh, because they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, he was looking to the reward. These parents were not afraid of the king's edict. They stood fast in the Lord. Look at how their son grew up then. He himself was the same way. When he had grown up, by faith Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could well have been called himself the son of Pharaoh's daughter because she took him out of there. And, and he could well have said, I'm not a Jew, you know, and, and totally separated himself from them. But when he grew up, he refused to call himself the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It says... He rather chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. He chose to walk with God. Have things been said to me by my colleagues? Yeah, sure. But I've surpassed them all. They've made comments over the years, and my family is better than all of their families, and my marriage is stronger than all of their marriages. And they can mock all they want and I get more research money than all of them. Yeah, sure, they mock. But God has a way of blessing and returning. It doesn't come overnight. 
But you walk with God, you will be blessed. You walk with God, you listen to the Word, you read the Scriptures, you will be blessed. This is a vision, a godly vision, that God can give you. It says, He considered the reproach of Christ, that's the reproach of the Messiah, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for He was looking to the reward. He could have had the treasures of Egypt, but He knew there was something greater. God had something greater for Him. This is heavenly vision. Heavenly vision. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. I wonder where he learned not to fear the wrath of the king. He had good teachers in his parents. You see, if you stand boldly, people around you stand boldly. You are God's attack force. You are the ones that God has sent to spy out the land. You are the ones who are, you know, to go, told to go in there and blow up bridges at night. You're the ones to do this. This Bible says, He has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of boldness. You say, well, I'm, I'm shy. Well, I'm shy too. I am. I am shy. I know nobody ever believes this. <laughs> Tell my wife, I'm shy, and she bursts out laughing. I really, I'm inherently shy. The easiest thing for me is to sit in a room and not talk to anyone. That's the easiest thing for me. But I have to step out and do something and talk to people and engage with them. I am obliged to do this. Because He has called me. He has given to me. He has anointed me. And if I take this gift that He has given me and I don't use it, I will lose it. This is what it says. It will be taken from me. If I don't use it. But if I use it, He will give me many times more. This gift of speaking, the easiest thing, why should I agree to speak? I'm a busy guy. Why should I go out and speak? I spoke Saturday night to Oasis. I spoke Sunday in the class. I spoke here today. I mean, I'm not a preacher. Not the full-time people. They get paid to do it. You get paid to do this? You do... I don't know. That, that, that's full-time. You get, you get paid to do this. <laughs> Let Chuck do it. No, that's the easiest thing to say. But no, the opportunity opens. I will speak of His Word. Because I know there's so much blessing in this. So much blessing in this. That He will bless my work as a result. This is the best thing that I can be doing for my research program. Is to be sharing His Word. He will bless me as a result. Why? How do I know that? Because I'm looking to the reward. Heavenly vision. Looking to the reward. You see the reward differently. Then he says, he goes on to a number of things. Then he says, and what more, in verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This list of things that which is impossible to humanly do, he gives to us as a demonstration. He says, they performed acts of righteousness. They obtained promises. In other words, there are promises in the scriptures that you will not obtain without faith. Through faith, they obtained promises. If you believe God, you get it. You don't, you won't. You obtain promises through faith. Through faith they obtain promises. They shut the mouths of lions. Did, did you know that's not something that commonly people do? But Daniel was in the lion's den and none of the lions were touching him. You shut the mouths of lions. 
He quenched, they quenched the power of fire, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and the power of fire didn't affect them. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness, they were made strong. Have you ever felt too weak? Uh, like every morning I do? And I come before the Word of God, and God strengthens me and empowers me? Because I have to be there for my group. I have to be there for people that look to me. I can't come in and just say, well, you know, I'm having a bad day. I don't think I'm going to teach today. Now, i got to do it here because I get paid to do it. But, you know, in church, say, I'm not going to teach this Sunday morning. I don't feel like it. I feel weak today. I'm not going to teach. I can't do that. From weakness they were made strong. They became mighty in war. You don't become mighty by sitting on your butt. You become mighty in war. In war they became mighty. Stonewall Jackson, General Jackson, he was a terrible professor at at VMI, Virginia Military Institute. Terrible. But he really shone in in the Civil War. I mean, amazing, amazing general in the Civil War. He became mighty in battle. That's generally, you don't hear about any great generals who weren't involved in a war. How do you know about General Schwarzkopf? Because of the war. The first Gulf War. I mean, General Schwarzkopf, I mean, he's amazing, the strategy that he had. So, if it had never been to a war, you never would have heard of him. In battle, you become mighty. So, God drops you in battle. Why are you dropping me in all this chaos, Lord? Ah, uh, because I want you to become mighty. Is that a good enough reason? Now, Fight! And they put foreign armies to flight. This is a heavenly vision. The constant cry is, do not fear them. Do not fear them. God can do remarkable things through your life if you will believe Him. If you will believe Him. He will do remarkable things. He will place you in a career, in a position you didn't even know you could love so much. He will do remarkable things if you have faith. You obtain promises through faith. This is heavenly vision. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the truth of Your Scriptures. For they encourage us, O Lord. For the testimony of those who walked in faith. I pray for these young people that You work in their lives to let them walk with a heavenly vision. A heavenly vision, I pray. Father, do a great work there. In the name of Jesus. Amen.